Lord, I thank you, Lord God. Words cannot express enough thanks, Lord, for all that you do for us, O oh God. Thank you for your touch, Lord, this morning. Thank you for your touch, Lord. Hallelujah. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Such a beautiful day. Amen. The Lord has made. Amen. We want to get right in our Sunday school lesson this morning. Amen. I take up our Sunday school offering. God bless this service. Bless this time together. Give us wisdom, knowledge, and understanding of thy word, O God, that we may grow thereby. And we will give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. God bless Brother Miller. Praise the Lord, everyone. Good once again to be in the house of the Lord. And uh, as always, I'm just grateful for what God is doing. Everything, every every good thing comes from the Lord. And uh, I'm thankful. You know, I was praying about something uh, maybe two weeks ago. And one of the things I declared in my prayer is that God... No matter what happens, no matter what my experience is from day to day, I'm going to make it my business to give you praise in it all. If it's bad news to me, I'm still going to praise you for it. If it's good news, makes me feel good, I'm still going to praise you for it. So no matter what the outcome, I'm going to just begin to give you praise. Amen. And I believe that that provokes an attitude change. It also provokes us to look at life differently. When we begin to give, make an effort to give God praise, even when things are not convenient, when things don't seem to be going our way, but when we begin to give God praise, things will begin to change in our own lives. And when we put things back into perspective as they need to be, we start realizing that that promise where the scripture says all things work together, right, for the good. Notice it said the good, not your good, but for the good, because the good we're talking about is God's goodness. Amen. So we're talking about whatever is good according to God. Amen. If it's good according to God, then it's going to be good for you. Amen. But everything you classify as good may not really be good. Amen. So we're talking about for the good according according to what? Is it about what we want? Is it about our agenda? It's about God's agenda, right? What he intends. Amen. All things work together for the good to them that are the called. Guess what, y'all? You have been chosen, the Bible says. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Right? A peculiar nation. You were called out from among them. You were called to be separate so that you could do what? Show forth the praises of him. Well, show forth the praises of him that called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I may have butchered that scripture a little bit, but y'all understand where I'm going. All right. It's all about him. Amen. You know, the whole purpose of mankind, our existence, is for his glory. 
Did you know that? It's amazing to me how many times we take it upon ourselves to try to do what we want to do with our own lives because that's just my prerogative. It's what I want to do. You know, I exist. I'm self-sufficient. That's kind of how, that's the attitude that we portray. But in essence, we only have life because of the source of life, which is God. Amen. But he brought us into existence for his purpose. Amen. So your life is not your own. You don't own yourself. You can't make enough money to buy yourself. There's not enough that you can do in life to ever earn you owning yourself. And because of the way things are, I'd rather not own myself because if I did, I'd be a mess. Because I'd need something else out of, outside of myself to tell me where to go next. Something that is above me. Something, someone that has more insight than I have or foresight than I have. So I can avoid mistakes and the heartaches and everything else in life. But if I'm just governing myself, I can only go based upon what I see. Everybody, when you first started out driving, what did you first look at? What was right in front of the hood, right? You first started learning how to drive. You you wasn't trying to look way out. Now we do that. It becomes second nature. But before that, we was just looking right in front of the hood. That's as far as we was looking. But we weren't proficient in driving. But as we went along, we became more experienced, right? That foresight helps you because if you don't see that child crossing, running across that street, you coming up on the stop sign, but you only look at what's right in front of the hood, you may end up hitting that child. Or that car that stopped at that red light. You don't see that car stopped and them brake lights shining bright because you're looking at the front of your hood. So I need something else that is beyond me to help me so that I'm not just seeing what's right in front of me. I need somebody that sees further down the road than I can see. Even with 2020 vision, your, your sight is still limited. You can only see but so far. Amen. But when we put things back into perspective, when we see things through the eyes of God, he helps us prepare for things in life. Your life is not your own. You belong to God. But when you give your life to God, that's when you start to experience the benefit of living for God. Amen. So let's go to Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. I know that y'all did not have a copy of the lessons last week. And if you see, there's a series of topics that we're going to cover during this lesson. Last week we talked about the beginning. Hopefully you were blessed by that. I know we added some a little bit of science, but as I talked to you uh, last week, science in and of itself is not evil. It's the study of what already exists. Can I put this proclamation out there that science, the Bible does not need science to be validated. Science needs the Bible to be validated. The Bible already puts it out there how it came into existence. Science is just trying to discover what God already established. Y'all with me? Putting things back into perspective, amen? It ain't, the Bible's not dependent upon science. But science can't be science without 
what happened in the scripture. Jeremiah chapter 29. I'm going to start off with verse. I know you see verse 11 at the top, and that's kind of my key verse there. I will read the King James Version, but I will go back to verse 11 and read it in the Amplified Version. Um, Starting with verse 10 says, For thus saith the Lord, God is talking to the children of Israel. At this time there were captives in the land of in, uh, Babylon. He says, thus, For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good toward you, and causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. So God is giving the promise to Jeremiah to give to the people, to the children of Israel. But I want to go back to verse 11 in the Amplified Version and read that again. It says, For I know the thoughts and plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Thoughts and plans for welfare and peace and not for evil. To give you hope in your final outcome. And if you look at the the title of this lesson, lesson two is talking about understanding the plan. Okay? God has a plan. Amen? But God's plan is not reactionary. God's plan has always been there. We're just beginning to see it manifest in our lives. But it's always been there. Amen? God is not a reactionary God. You know, my wife, my wife, Sister Miller, she said it, you know, a couple of weeks ago. It's not like God is just sitting up there. We always talk about it. It's not like God is just sitting there watching a the video, you know, and looking at life and say, oh, man. Woo. Oh, man, it's the climax right here. What decision they going to make? You ever seen those movies that have, you know, they depend on what decision they make in the course of the movie or tell you what the outcome is? They used to give you the different outcomes for some of them. And then you look at it and be like, What? God is not up there doing that. God already knows. Okay, and we're going to talk about this a little bit. But he already knows. He already knows what we're going to do. And we're going to clarify some things because there's a lot of questions and ambiguity for some people when it comes to those type of statements where it says God already knows and God already has a plan. So if he already has a plan and he already knows, then what's the point? So let's dig into that. Because it's a valid question, but we need to understand. And we talked about the beginning. Wanted to bring that out because obviously that sets the stage. Knowing where the beginning starts. Now before the beginning is, we know it, the beginning representing time. That's what we're talking about, the beginning. But before that beginning or the restraints of time as we know it, God has always been there. So in the beginning, God, God preceded time. He didn't just pop up in time. God preceded time. And then time began for us because of God. God brought that into existence. Isn't that awesome? That's mind-blowing, isn't it? So before time, as we know it, then it was just God. 
Now imagine how old God has been, you know, how old he is, how long he's been around. Everybody questions that. How old is God? You know, I always tell people, well, get your life right. Let's go to heaven and then you'll have the opportunity to ask him yourself. Right? Works for me. So, God has a plan. I wanted to bring that up because that, that pretty much that scripture is covering the t- entire lesson. We talk about understanding the plan. We've got to know that God has a plan. Amen. And God's plan is short. It's, when we look at life, please understand, when you're looking at things in life, things may not be working out in life the way we think they should be working out. But please understand that it does not mean that God's plan is failing. God never fails. Amen? His plan is sure. But let's get into this. So we talked about the beginning, the origin. We tied in science and and really established the fact that science can complement what the scriptures has already established. It's just a matter of looking at it, making sure it's integrated properly. Amen? Science in its purest form does not detract from, but it enhances what the scripture has already established. Everybody with me? Everybody good? Okay. All right. So, I'm going to begin with the simple yet profound proclamation that our existence is not a mistake. It's not a mistake. Every life is intentional. We were deliberately created. We were meticulously designed. And we were purposely developed. In the beginning, everything was perfect. Within the first chapter of Genesis, the word good is cited seven times. And they're all referencing the things that God created. If this is true, then God did not create anything bad or, more appropriately, evil. Remember what I told you, people don't want to use that word evil when it comes to bad, but that's what it is. Anything that's not good is evil. That's what the scripture from the beginning, those were the two options. It wasn't, oh, it's just bad. You know, that's just kind of not good. No, don't skirt around it. It's evil. Call it what it is. Amen? It's evil. All right? But everything that God brought into existence, according to Genesis chapter 1, we find that it was what? Good. Look at the last verse, and it tells you God looked at it. He saw that everything was, God was pleased with it. See, now when God is pleased with it, that means there is no flaw. There is no error. It's perfect the way it is. Right off the bat, you take that and you recognize that God did not set us up for failure, but he set us up for success. Everything was perfect. Even the order of nature was perfect. What did God tell Adam? He says, listen, you guys, you and Eve, being humans, being mankind, you're going to rule over. You're going to have dominion over. So all the animals, everything that exists is going to submit to you. There was a divine order that was set in place. Even in our nature. Think about that. 
Because if you want to think about, if you want to consider whether or not dinosaurs existed and all that other stuff, and how did man survive, divine order. Think about it. You can't rule anything in this life unless God allows you to rule it. Divine order. That's why we have so many issues today. Because people are trying to assume, assume a power that they do not have. And oh, by the way, they're only influenced by the liar himself who feels like or tries to portray himself as having more power than what he truly has. Divine order came from God. God established it from the beginning. So everything was set up for success. We were set up for success. Sometimes I like to talk about it with my wife. I says, you know, he gave the command in chapter one. He says, hey, be fruitful and multiply. He gave this command to the animals, but he also gave it to Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply. Replenish the earth. That's what he says. So here's what's amazing to me, ladies. I imagine that there was an opportunity. There was a time where you probably could have delivered children, maybe without pain. I don't know. Reproduction was always in the plan. Before sin came. So I wonder if it would have been pleasant. Oh, there's a baby. Thank you, Jesus. They didn't know Jesus at the time, but you know. Not his name. Make sure I clarify that for those who's listening. But that was always part of the plan. Everything was already put in place. It was it was perfect. So God didn't create every, anything evil or bad. Notice, in everything that he created, he did not create evil. So let's, let's, let's establish that first and foremost. Because a lot of people try to, it's amazing to me how many people try to put God on trial. It's one thing to be, you know, to have inquisitions. You know, I really want to know. I, I really want to know more. I want to understand this. That's, that's, that's different. As I've heard it said before, it's totally different from being a skeptic. Because usually your skeptics already have a predetermined understanding or view of whatever the topic is. They don't intend on embracing anything else. They're not trying to learn or understand anything else. They just want to prove you wrong to validate themselves being right. God did not create evil. So what about the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Well, let's look at Genesis chapter 2. I want everybody to turn with me because I'm, I'm going to try to get through a lot of this. But I want you to see this for yourself. You don't have to take my word for it. All I'm doing is just speaking stuff to enhance what the scripture has already established. So look at it for yourself. If you don't look at the word of God for yourself, you are doing yourself an injustice. As a Christian... Why profess to be it if you're not, you don't even know nothing about it? Who are you fooling? you got to know this stuff, so look at it for yourself. Don't take Brother Miller's word for it. 
I'm not Christ. I'll be dead and gone. And, you know, I ain't, unless God decides to do a miracle, I, I can't raise myself. So I ain't gonna promise y'all that. Y'all see him in that casket. I don't think I'm getting up till Jesus come back. Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. Verse 9 reveals that every tree was created by God. Y'all see that, right? What does it say? Somebody read that verse for me, please. Normally I don't do this, but I want to make sure y'all with me. So God formed every tree. Now, in Genesis chapter 1, you see that it just specifically focuses on the tree that bears fruit and herbs. Herbs, however you pronounce it. My understanding is that the H is silent. So God produced it. It just tells you about those two particular trees. But in this particular passage of Scripture, we find that every tree... Just in case there was any confusion or doubt, every tree was formed by God, right? And look at that word again. It was what? Good. Y'all see that, right? No, no, no. Look at, look at pleasant to the sight and what? Good for food, right? It was attractive and it was, it was good. It had nutritional value, whatever the case may be. Look at what he says. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden. What was in the middle of the garden? The tree of life, right? Then they say he also made the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So the tree of knowledge of good and evil was created by God as well, right? And everything that God created was good. And we see that it says also that every tree was good for food, right? So it was good, right? Y'all with me? So then the tree of knowledge of good and evil was never labeled as evil. Look at what it says. It was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It never called the tree evil itself. Putting things back into perspective. When I was growing up, we automatically just classified the tree as evil. So then that would mean that God created evil, which means that he would be unjust in punishing us because he set us up. But he didn't. Now, let's go ahead a little bit further because I see some looking. But the tree was never labeled, y'all see that, right, as evil. It said it was the tree of knowledge. Of good and evil. Remember, knowledge is what? Information, right? Receiving information. Now, although the fall, excuse me, <clears throat> while, he, while he warned them about the results of eating from this tree, he never found them to partake, or excuse me, he never forced them to partake of the tree that was in the middle of the garden, which was the, the tree of life. So he warned them not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But did he ever, do we find in the scripture where he ever forced them to eat from the tree of life? And the tree of life was where? That's interesting to me. 
So out of all the trees that they could have partaken from. And oh, by the way, the one that was in the very middle of the garden. There was something that provoked them to eat from this other tree. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. They had liberty to eat from any other tree except that one. Although the fall of mankind involved this tree, there was a deeper issue to address. When God gave them specific instructions, look at verse 16 of chapter 3. Or excuse me. Not chapter 3, chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. What does he say to them? Look at, look at, look at who he's talking to. It says, and the Lord God commanded who? The man, right? So we, can, we just conclude that that's Adam that he's talking to. Saying, of every tree the garden thou mayest freely eat notice what he did i'm i'm gonna point something out in a second but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die look at what he did by giving them that information it already confirms that god when he created man he gave them the ability to choose The ability to choose. I'm going to try my best to unravel this thing a little bit because, you know, it's, it's easy. You take this and it's kind of three chapters. So it's like, oh, yeah, you know, okay. He ate from the fruit, ate from the tree, and, you know, they just fell and didn't fall a man. Okay, but, yeah, there was, there was some things that, to recognize out of this, some key things to better understand what was taking place. First of all, God gave them the ability to choose. Now, with that ability... Can I can I get off for just a second? I'm gonna take I'm gonna take a little pit stop off the bus real quick and stop at Quick Trip. I imagine, okay, and I'm that's why I said what I said just now. You don't have to write this down. I'm not saying that this actually happened. I'm putting this disclaimer out there so nobody leave out here thinking that oh it, that's you know brother Miller said that's what was, no that's not what I said. But I imagine. Remember what happened with Job, right? So the enemy presented himself before God and asked for permission to tempt Job, right? I imagine that maybe, I'm going to try to bring out two things in this. Maybe he asked God for permission to tempt Eve, Because, what, Lord, if you let me do this, God, I guarantee you they're going to turn. They're going to denounce you. And by that thought, this is just me now, by that thought, I would imagine that's why he probably tried it further down the road with Job. Because when I tried it the first time, look at the result. 
Watch what I do with your servant here. I'm going to prove it again. That every time I tempt your creation, every time I present something to them, they're going to turn away from you. This, now, that's, like I said, that's just me. So please don't take that as, you know. But that's just what I imagine. Because the enemy needs permission from God, right, in order to mess with his creation. He can't take it upon himself to do anything. So, that being said, we do know that the enemy presents himself. Now, here's the other thing I wanted to bring out. Obviously, if the serpent or the enemy is tempting Eve to do evil, it gives me the indication that some point in time, in the beginning, Satan was kicked out of heaven. But now, why was he kicked out of heaven? Pride, right? Because he decided in his mind he wanted to be like Guess what, y'all? Angels were given the ability to choose too. Spiritual beings given the ability to make a choice. How do we know that? Because aside from the devil himself being kicked out of heaven, he took a third of heaven's angels who... Y'all see that? So when God created his beings... None of them were robots. They all had a choice. Now, as a spiritual being, you in the presence of God. Surely, you wouldn't denounce God. Here we are. We want to see God. We, we desire to be in his presence. But you have the angels that's there every day. And look what happened to a third of them. Why? Because they made a choice. So this is important to recognize that they had a choice from the beginning. Now listen, no true relationship can ever be developed without the power of choice. If I force you to be with me, that's not a true relationship. It has to be a mutual thing. So this is, what was, this is what, was, what was necessary in the beginning, giving the ability to choose. Now that you have the ability to choose, I'm telling you that this is what I expect. And oh, by the way, this is what I provided. And all I'm telling you is just to stay away from this. Brothers and sisters, there was one. It couldn't get no more simpler than what it was. You only have one thing to not do. For all those that complain about how many rules we have and so on and so forth, God made it so simple in the beginning. He said, just don't eat from that tree and you have liberty and access to everything else. How much easier can you make that? Because I gave you the ability to choose. So now I'm going to give you the opportunity woo, to make a choice. That's powerful. That God himself 
would give us the opportunity. And guess what? Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, today we still have that same opportunity. God never took that away. That is why some of us can go to church and some of us choose not to. That is why some of us are filled with his spirit and some of us can walk around and reject his spirit because he gave us the opportunity. Man, Wow. You're talking about almighty God. Who could have just made it and said, you're going to serve me regardless. But what kind of relationship is that? I want to have a relationship with you is what he's saying. But I want you to make that choice. Now, yes, I created you. But I want you to make the choice to choose me. Man. So for all the skeptics and those who keep putting God on trial, the ones who really need to be on trial is us. Because why was it so difficult to abstain from the one tree? To follow one rule. This was not a reflection on God being flawed. This was a reflection on us rejecting God. This was the beginning of that. So, are y'all with me? Man, this thing is, I told you I'm going to try to, Unravel this thing because it's important to know that so many people have questions, but they really don't understand. And some of it is just a mystery to really understand God and how he brought all this thing to fruition. Some of it we won't understand until we make it to the other side. I can sit here and try to explain it to you as best as possible, but at the end of the day, a lot of that stuff, there's some things that God won't reveal to us until we get to the other side. But we have enough that's already been presented to begin to understand the power and the grace. And I mean, my goodness, from the beginning, he loved us so much that he gave us an opportunity to make a choice, even though it grips his heart when we make the wrong choice. That's why he gets angry. What else do you want? Remember what he told David? Through the man of God, he said, I would have given you a whole lot of stuff. Why did you have to make the decision that you made? My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Why do you keep chasing after things in this world? Why do you keep settling for things? And then you keep being disappointed, but you keep going right back to the same things. When will you come to the point where you let me give you exactly what you need? I already had it in place. You sitting there bumping your head against the wall trying to figure it out. I've already got it worked out. Okay. Ultimately, there are two components that contributed to the detriment of mankind. Internal conflict and external coercion. Internal conflict and external coercion. Adam and Eve reached a point where they questioned God's integrity and rejected his command. So here's what happened. We know the serpent presented himself to Eve. <coughs> excuse me. Presented himself to Eve. <coughs> and notice, and this is in chapter 3 of Genesis. 
I want you to look at this. First verse, it gives us just a small, um, a small piece of information regarding the serpent or Satan at this point in time. It says that the serpent was more subtle, right? He was more crafty. He was very smooth. Then any y'all seeing the snake? It look like they can get anywhere, right? <clears throat> but they move. More subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Look at what he does. He said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? What is he doing? I call this the enemy strategy. I call it the 3D threat. Distraction, deception, and destruction. So he has to distract. In order to distract you, I've got to pull you away from what you already know to focus more on what you don't know. Cause you to divert. This is what the definition of distraction is. To distract is to divert someone's attention and focus. A simple definition. Satan was able to identify an area of vulnerability with Eve. What did he, how did he do it? He asked a generic, a general question. What did he say? <clears throat> did God say, look how he worded that question. Did God say not to eat from the trees, from every tree of the garden? He's engaging in conversation and guess what Eve does? She begins to respond back to him. She's now engaging in conversation, and little does she know, the enemy is trying to draw her attention away from what God said. What she already knew, because verse 2 says, the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the uh, fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Do you understand what death is, Eve? <clears throat> no, not really, but that's just what God said. Let me help you out, Eve. You shall not surely die. You're not really going to die. You're not literally going to die. So now he's posing an argument, and Eve, because she's now more focused on what the serpent is saying... She doesn't realize that he's bringing her to a point to question what God has already given her. Right? And just that same tactic he's using today. He's using the same tactics today. Engaging you to see if you're going to respond to him and focus more on him. You ever heard those folks that are always testifying about how the devil's on their track and beating them up and everything else? Guess where your focus is? That's really what it is. And you don't realize it, but you glorifying the devil. He's like, man, hey, I'll take that. I'll take that too. Just keep calling my name. Because every time you testify like this, you're, you're producing a message that you really don't realize you're producing to the other people that I'm more powerful. 
So, <clears throat> gets her to focus and brings her to the point where she begins to question. Now, because she's at that point where she begins to question, a vulnerability was identified with Eve, and now the enemy is starting to take advantage of it. This is where we talk about deception. Deception is to convince someone to believe something that is not true. To give a further definition is to convince someone with information that seems to agree or supersede the information you already possess. That is deception. So you know something, but maybe in part. But if I give you some information that either agrees or seems to supersede, and you embrace that, now you begin to believe something that really doesn't exist to begin with. I'm misleading you. There's always an agenda behind that. Unfortunately, when we talk about false doctrine and all that other stuff, the scripture talks about that. There's an agenda behind it. Guess where it's coming from? He's using the same tactics. Look at what he says. For God doth know. Here's the information. For God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as God's knowing good and evil. So, what I'm telling you, Eve, is God is really trying to hide something from you. And for whatever reason, by nature, we are just curious. By nature. I laugh because some comedians have talked about it before, but they say, you know, you got some group of people that they hear a certain noise, a strange noise, like, man, what is that? And they go investigating it, where most people with sense would get away from it. I'm going to go investigate this. And then one, one now I'm not going ahead because I took it upon myself to go investigate this noise. No, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get out of the situation. We're going to find out what happens, but not right now. It's a dark room. I'm going to, no, buddy. Unless God tells me to go in there, then I know I got some light. But he says, God is trying to hide something from you. That's why he doesn't want you to eat from the tree. Notice what I said. Either agrees or supersedes what you already know. I knew he said to eat from the tree, but I didn't realize that there was more to it. Over my time. My apologies. Question God's intent. And as a result, she gets to a point where she loses trust in God. Away. I'm going to have to finish this thing, wrap it up, and we. But I leave you with that: the triple, the 3D threat. Okay. Um, <clears throat> like I said, we'll just wrap that up next week and start the next lesson. God bless you in Jesus' name. Let's prepare for a dynamic service.